0: Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D.
1: Graham.
2: I never remember which way I said was the past or the future, so we'll just say into the future, we'll go there. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. We have such an exciting topic for you today. Uh, It's a topic I've never done before, but I was very honored to be included in a rich thinking study Barbara Stewart, who was one of our esteemed panelists today. And she helped me organize this wonderful panel. I'll get to the topic in a second. Uh, But Barbara included me in her research about how do women earn a living today? What are they doing? Is it a job? It is a salary. Is it gig? Is it whatever, investments? How are we paying our bills? How are we getting the money to come in? And Barbara, everybody give Barbara a round of applause for what she does. She's an eminent researcher and a very serious and talented lady who puts people in the forefront and gives us a chance to speak. And Barbara, thank you for that. That's why you're here. And I said to Barbara, I'm so excited to be in your research this year. I would love to have you come and invite three of your friends, your colleagues, your subjects in your research. So that's my preamble. So now let me go to our topic. I think you all figured out what it is. And by the way, ladies, wave hello to LinkedIn. Hello, LinkedIn. That's it. Um- wave hello. Wave hello to Facebook, you can say hi, you can do a shout out, that's hi. fine. And Hello to Gabe our engineer who did wonderful countdowns for us. Okay, here we go. So I have four buzz quotes, I always open with the buzz and then we'll get through our quotes and our predictions. Buzz number one, Barbara Stewart, I'm quoting you from rich thinking global research papers. I will tell it's at barbara stewart.ca i don't usually do that stewart s-t-e-w-a-r-t there we go she says 85 percent of the women i interviewed make money in ways that really are not any different from how women made money in 1980 everybody just let that sink in she goes on a third have jobs that pay salaries and bonuses perhaps with a bit of a twist About a quarter make money off of direct drive sales, a business model she remembers well from she sold photocopiers for Xerox in 1986. Oh, my goodness. And another quarter provides some sort of fee for service, a mere 15%. 15. That's not much. Have the many sources model for money making much lower than Barbara says she would have expected. Most women today make money in ways that wouldn't seem particularly odd 40 years ago. And she suspects this will be true over the next few years as well. That's a quote from Barbara. Barbara, I had to honor you with the opening buzz quote. Just wanted you to know there was really no choice. I'm
3: truly grateful. Thank you. Well,
2: I'm grateful that you had such good content that I could quote and open the show with. So I thank you. This is going to be Barbara Stewart day. We're going to declare it. Here's another. A quote i have from <laughs> investopedia i found a quote a great wealth transfer is coming passed down from the baby boomer generation i'm raising my hand and women may emerge as the biggest beneficiaries approximately 30 trillion dollars in wealth is set to change hands in the next decade and women are poised to inherit a sizable share according to research by mckinsey and company published in 2020, so that's recent. Here's buzz number three. This is from a website. Uh, The person is Julius Baer, B-A-E-R.com, and he says, according to BCG, Boston Consulting Group, the consultancy, women hold nowadays an average of 40% of global wealth, and this could rise at a compound annual growth rate of 7.2% by next year, 2023, outpacing the 5.2% compound annual growth rate projected for men. There we have a comparison and I have buzz number four in many ultra high net worth families, the roles of women are still hindered by long standing conventions and complex intergenerational dynamics, although these women control a significant percentage of the world's wealth, more than $10.9 trillion in assets in the US alone. They serve as CEOs of more than three dozen Fortune 500 companies. They oversee many philanthropic programs and initiatives, and they play an increasing role in shaping the philosophies and priorities for future generations. Their contributions are often overlooked and believe it or not that came from nasdaq.com so we're going to be talking today about the future of women's wealth and we'll get the technology theme in there somewhere innovators investors influencers and my very special guests are going to introduce themselves but first let me read your names and wave hello barbara stewart we all know you by now and we have eva christensen who gave me permission not to pronounce her middle name because i wasn't going to get it right and she appreciates that we have Iris. I'm still looking for my It's Ira Ten-Ten-J. Tenzaya. <laughs> Tenziah. I'll get it. I'll get it. Tenzaya. and April Rudin. That one I can pronounce. Everybody wave hello. And again, we're talking about the future of women's wealth and technology. Welcome everybody. This is going to be an exciting roundtable. Barbara Stewart, you're up first. I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Please regale us. Tell us a little bit about who you are. How did you get started researching women's wealth? Barbara, welcome.
3: Well, hi, and thank you so much, Bonnie, and to my guests for all agreeing to join me, Eva, Iris, and April. I really appreciate it and can't wait to hear what you all have to say today. Um, So who am I? I'm a chartered financial analyst, and I'm a global researcher in the area of women in finance. So today, we're talking about my absolute favorite topic of all time. And as Bonnie mentioned, it's deeply personal to me at so many levels. I spent most of my career working advising ultra-high net worth entrepreneurs about money management basically managing money on their behalf so I got to know a lot of different couples that were very wealthy I worked with individual males and female clients but lots of couples and I stress that word for a reason during the financial crisis the last one we had 2008-9 a long time ago now I was not feeling that great about talking to these couples because of course across the board globally, everybody was losing money and nobody wanted to open their investment statements or discuss really anything with their advisor because they were all too worried. But what I noticed at that time was there was a, a big disconnect in that when I talked to the female in the couple or the male in the couple, there were quite different conversations and it just became striking to me that the gender, and I'm being very obviously general here in terms of genders and couples, the gender that seemed to be the calm, cool, collected one through that crisis and all the market volatility was the female. And in fact, on the one day, which was actually the low of the market drop in March 2009, I had to talk seven different male clients out of panicking and liquidating their entire portfolio Luckily, I did, that was the hardest day of my life as a job as a portfolio manager, but it really struck me loud and clear that why do we have this stereotype, Ben, if this is my real life, dealing with strong, capable female investors, why do we have this stereotype that women are risk-averse? And I took that to heart and I got mad, I got to tell you, I just got so mad that I thought there's something wrong with this picture. And I'm going to do my own research and figure out why these stereotypes exist. Maybe we came by these stereotypes, honestly, years and years and years ago, but certainly today that doesn't apply. I know for a fact, through my work and through now the research that I've done, that women are not risk averse. In fact, they are risk aware. And risk aware is an incredibly positive skill to have for anyone. And women now have proven to make even better investors than men. So I don't know how much time that took, but I could go on all day on this, but I'll let some (laughs) of these other women share their stories.
2: Thank you very much. That's an interesting summary or overview of what you found. Very, very interesting. And we're going through somewhat of a financial crisis right now. I've watched my portfolio drop the value of an entire house I could have bought for cash in a very nice place where I'm planning to move in the past two months. I mean, the entire price of the entire house, gone. So I made some adjustments to secure in something that was a little lower risk, but smarter to make sure I kept my I kept that capital. I didn't wanna see it all disappear. And I know we've all lived through, everybody here is old enough to have lived through 2008, 2009. If we weren't investors at the time, we know people who were, and it was a very strange time. And here we are. So let's go on. I want to, and I, April is nodding. Yep, we know, don't we? We know. Yeah, put your seatbelt on. Let's go to Eva Christensen. Eva, so happy to meet you. We had a chance to chat just for a couple seconds before we started. So I'm going to put you on speaker view and welcome, and let's hear who you are and what's your passion. Go ahead.
4: Thank you, Bonnie, and uh, thank you, uh, Barbara, as well for for the invitation. Um, yeah, and and let me just pronounce my my uh, other last name, Grönpierre. So it's, it's Danish and even Danes get it wrong. So don't worry about it, uh, Eva Christensen is, uh, is just fine. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Sustainify. It's a tech startup and it's a tool to do sustainable investing. Uh, we provide sustainability data to investors. And um, this is, uh, I'm a founder where I'm kind of scratching my own itch. So I was uh, investing myself, uh, started in 2016, so fairly new and um, made some horrible investments I was working as a CSR consultant with corporate social responsibility. So my my professional life is within sustainability. And uh, to to my surprise, I didn't really combine the two. So I I thought I need to do some kind of research because I made poor uh, investments the first two stocks I bought and uh, and lost some money there. And I thought um, I need to check out these companies and do research on them. And every time I got to the sustainability part of their annual reports, This is where I was uh, better at judging if it was a smart company or not so smart. And I couldn't get myself to invest in somebody that didn't get their corporate social responsibility right, but had good financial numbers. So I thought somebody must have done this. And I looked at the data that's out there, and there's a lot of greenwashing that comes from the companies that is in the data as well. So when you make investment decisions on the current data, you have some of that greenwashing in it. And that's what we're trying to weed out of uh, of the data. Uh, so I'm also a former CSR consultant. I'm now a full-time founder of, uh, of Sustainify. I'm also an author of a book uh, about sustainable investing that I wrote during uh, the pandemic. And I'm active in uh, online communities for investors and primarily uh, women that invest.
2: Thank you very much. And this is the second day in a row I've heard the term greenwashing. I had a panel on one of my business shows yesterday, and I asked the gentleman to explain. He said it's, it's putting the best foot forward, but not really doing anything about it, right? It's saying, okay, we're doing this, we're ESG compliant, we're aware, we're, we're going to make it happen, but nah, we're really not doing anything. Everything's the same. So thank you, very, very interesting. Eva, pleasure to have you on. And I'm gonna do my best at pronouncing this lady's name, Iris Tenzaya. Did I get it right this time, Iris? Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, good. I wrote it all over my notes while while Eva was talking. Go ahead. I'm putting you on speaker view. Iris, welcome. Pleasure to meet you. Let's hear who you are. Go ahead.
0: Hey, Bonnie. Thanks for inviting me. So my name is Iris, and I am a startup founder based out of London. I've been in the tech startup scene for the past um, seven, eight years. And how I got interested in, in investing and women in investing is actually because of Sort of the journey i've gone through in life so i grew up in the netherlands that's where i spent most of my life and then i moved to hong kong where i spent a couple of years and one of the things that i noticed is like there's a stark difference culturally in terms of how people talk about money how open how open people are about money finance investing Um, so when i landed in hong kong um, i made a lot of friends that were investment bankers and working in the financial industry um, and because of that, because of the industry and their experience, but also just culturally, people were more open when it came, when it came to speaking about money and uh, i was always talking about investing with my friends or i mean at first when they started talking about it i felt i didn't really know anything about it but because they constantly kept you know bringing up this topic i wanted to learn more about invest investing started doing research and i think if i had stayed in the netherlands i mean because i'm a curious person probably at some point i would have started investigating and researching but i think i would have started later just because people and especially women don't necessarily talk about it as much and then um coming back to london where i'm currently based again fairly similar to how things were in netherlands people don't talk it is changing but on average people don't talk about money that much and i really i realized that oh because people don't talk about it and when i bring up the conversation um I found out that, you know, people, especially women, uh, young women aren't investing and it's a problem. We all know why it is a problem. Um, so that is when I really realized, okay, we there's something that we we need to do something about this. Um, so what I started doing is, you know, just aside from just talking about events, I am going to minimize the large education platform. So I'm doing side, aside from doing my startup. So I'm doing events for them um, throughout the year, interviewing experts, educating the community on different topics when it comes to investing. And I think this is really important. And also in my own startup, um, it is an investment focused, uh, business. So yeah, it's a topic that I think is really important. I really care about. And it's it's interesting that because of being in the environment where people were talking a a lot more about money, that is really how I got, Uh, got exposed to it and interested and that made me realize that if we are more open about it, you know, we can inspire and encourage others Mm -hmm. to get started and take that first step.
2: Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet. Be- Do you ever sleep, Iris? Do you- Does that <laughs> fit into your plans anywhere? Do you have a, a, an hour here and an hour there? I'm, I'm impressed with how active and inve- invested you all are so far. And let's now get April Rudin. April, the easiest. Well, and Barbara Stewart has an easy pronounced name. April, mm-hmm. I know I met you somewhere, but as you said, yes, it's okay. We think maybe we did. It doesn't really matter. You're here. We're delighted to have you, April. Full screen, tell us who you are and what's your passion for women and wealth. April, welcome.
1: So thank you so much, Bonnie. And of course, Barbara, who's been a longtime friend of mine and colleague. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk about my three passions, which is the intersection of technology, women and wealth. So Barbara mentions 2008 and 2008 was the year I launched my business, which I'll talk about in a a moment where people said I was crazy. But it turned out to be in my 10 year press release, I said it turned out to be probably one of the best things that I did in hindsight. So uh, I began my career working for um, Kelly Services, the temporary health company at their headquarters in Detroit. And I always call myself the original millennial girl because I was young enough then to be hired by the president of the company who who asked me a question, do you know the Wang word processor and the IBM PC? Because we don't and our business is changing and we need technology uh, because we have typewriters in our offices and a dictaphone test and it's just not cutting it so in my first iteration of myself uh, that was my job to help them find technology brought them to the forefront and ended up meeting bill gates about 20 times in the in the late 80s so he turned out to be my mark zuckerberg and was very interested in how a staffing company became a technology company because it was one of the first of its kind. And Kelly started getting media attention in MIS week and information week and all sorts of technology publications rather than staffing. So it was really a seismic shift. So when I hear people talking about technology today, to me, that's really iterative. Um, But some of us might remember going from analog to digital and that was really a thing. So uh, going backward really quickly, I ended up relocating um, from Detroit to New York City, where of course it's a money center. And one of the um, money centers of the world, obviously financial services and the garment industry are really the two two largest employers in New York. So when I was returning back to work, I knew that I liked to buy garments, but I didn't wanna work in the garment center. So I had to go to financial services and i ended up working for a friend of mine whose family was credited with inventing multifamily office and i became fascinated and really immersed in the whole world of wealth management and wealth high net worth ultra high net worth and some of the investment types uh, that they had and that they made whether it was regular equities private equity hedge funds and so on but there was one constant that i looked at and that was a really constant message of really old-fashioned times to me and undifferentiated all of the brands that i looked at would have similar messaging like we put clients interest first or a picture of a lighthouse a yacht or a chess piece uh as if that spoke to end investors so i knew that there would have to be something better having two millennial kids of my own i knew that they wouldn't be buying from these old fashioned brands with a mahogany table and the leather chairs and really something so formal. And so in 2008, so in, in 2008, I went to speak to a friend of mine who ran a trust company and I told him my idea for a business, which was going to be wealth management marketing, you know, encompassing wealth asset management and so on, wealth tech, fintech. And he told me 14 years ago, April, you're a really nice girl, but you're too old to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Banks will ah. never hire outside firms, high net worth people will never be on the internet and social media is a fad. And so with all oh, of God. that packed into my pocket, I thought I really must be onto something if that's what this old white guy thinks. So <laughs> I launched my firm in 2008 without any prior experience as an entrepreneur. and just some ideas and started publishing my own ideas on LinkedIn, on social media. And it turned out that I was really onto something because here I am 14 years later. So um, I really feel fortunate to have a seat at the table and watching really the evolution of women as um, inheritors, as we spoke about, women as wealth creators. And my job, my day-to-day job is helping firms and people figure out how to serve these markets and how to message properly what they do and that doesn't mean we'll get into this later i'm sure it doesn't mean uh, applying pink or talking down to women and catering to female investors.
2: Thank you very much, April. I enjoyed getting to know all all four of you. April, I have to tell you, I found out last year that I'm an early woman in tech, and I didn't know that there was a label that did that. But I was a, when we used to call it programmer analyst, back in the day when there was such a thing as a mainframe, and it was from Xerox, it was the Xerox Sigma-6 CP5, and I was programming in COBOL, And I was creating, I was in school, I had a bachelor's in psychology, but I went back to school for two tech degrees. Who thought of something like that? Well, my colleagues in the classroom were dropouts from architecture school, people who didn't want to be lawyers and started law school, people who didn't want to be doctors. We were in our mid to late 20s and we were looking for something exciting and we found a community college in Eugene, Oregon where we got our tech degrees and they hired me right out of the gate when I finished my two years. And I, two years later, I was running a statewide computer system, programming and analyzing and coding. But the thing I wanted to tell you was, You said the data was on a disc pack. Eva and and Iris, I think you'll get a kick out of it. The disc pack was this great big thing with a handle on it, and it looked like accordion paper inside with the data. And I had to stand up on a step stool and take the pack and load it into a disc drive that was much higher up on the wall than I was tall. And I wore skirts to work and high heels and all that. So here I am, Barbara appreciates that, on the step stool dropping the disc pack in and then stepping down, and everything was 80 column cards, I was keep, a- April I was key punching keep pu- carrying around a oh, box with yeah. two to- I still have 80 column paper here I have my cobalt book and it's I didn't know I was an early woman in anything I just thought well that's what I did so I, I appreciate look the look back from a couple of us who were old enough to, to be able to look back and the young ones who were starting out a little bit later in life appreciate that ladies let's go to the quote segment where I've asked each of you to please send me a fictional quote from a movie or a TV character a song lyric Tell that Let's uh, hurry it up because I want to get to the prediction. So let's take two minutes for the quote explanation. Barbara Stewart has picked a quote from Mary Richards, played by Mary Tyler Moore. Of course, the Mary Tyler Moore Show. I think they call it eponymous. American TV sitcom CBS TV, 1970 to 1977, features Mary Richards, the first never married, independent career woman featured as a central character in a TV sitcom. And Betty White was in it. And Ted Knight was in it. And George Engel. And Gavin McLeod And Ed Asner. Oh, my goodness. Gracious, and Cloris Leachman, and uh, Valerie Harper. Oh my goodness, what a cast. Here's the quote Barbara has selected. Go in there and be natural, and remember to smile. Oh, Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Please, rescue me. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead.
3: Well, anyone who knows me knows that I like to share only positive stories, but there's a reason I'm I'm there. I'm what, I'm what I would call myself a recovering perfectionist. And you know we all have demons in our closet and one of mine is from about age 19 I had an eating disorder. Not too common. We didn't used to talk about it back in the day. It was hush hush. I mean I remember the guidance counselors calling my parents and my parents said we don't want to talk to you. This is our house. Uh, we don't share these secrets kind of thing or whatever. Anyway, I was struggling, and what I was doing as I was convalescing and trying to gain weight was watching reruns of The Mary Tyler Moore Show, because it had ended, it was 1970 to 77, and they played it every morning at 10 a.m., 10 to 10.30, 10 so I would eat chocolate chip muffins and watch reruns of The Mary Tyler Moore Show, and that's where I first really thought about that quote that came in one of the funny shows. Um, about just go in there and smile and be natural. And I remember Lou Grant said something like, I, I can't do both, like <laughs> either be natural or smile. I can't do both. But anyway, once I recovered enough, I got a job working in a bank and I held that so close to my heart because I was still very low in confidence, obviously coming out of something like that. And I was a bank teller. So all day I just smiled my face off until eventually, I got happy. And it really was for me. I know it's not that simple for most of the people that struggle with that. But I got lucky and I just kept smiling. And (laughs) I've never stopped. And that's backstory to why I'm always sharing positive stories. And today the positive stories about women and money. So it's very personal.
2: Thank you, Very, very, I love the way you tied that in together. Very interesting. That was quite a show uh, on so many levels and too bad many of the people in it are gone, but we do have good memories. Yes, she she was a, a groundbreaker, a game changer if you will. Eva, I'm going to your quote here. This is from a song by Dermot kennedy the song is called outnumbered dermot joseph kennedy he's a baby he was born in 1991 let's not go there irish singer songwriter known for his 2019 single outnumbered we'll leave it there here's the quote you picked on the nights you feel outnumbered baby i'll be out there somewhere i don't know whether to cry right should we that's so touching eva what does this have to do with our topic go ahead
4: well, I said something about me being really active in online communities, and, and that's kind of a, a part of that, where you can you can always find somebody there. I'm in one um, money penny uh, group for for female uh, investors where we just geek out on the stock market. Uh, it's a Danish uh, Facebook group where there's 50,000 uh, women that just nerd about uh, the stock market. And uh, you can always find somebody there who can help you answer a question. And there's one rule, and it's there's no stupid questions. So, yes, so everybody can just get out there and, and ask a question, and you can find somebody who can answer it. And it's kind of uh, in that um, same feeling as that song. And uh, uh, every uh, listener to the show should actually go and uh, listen to some of uh, Dermot uh, Kennedy's music. It's, uh, it's really good.
2: Thank you. I'm thinking of the song, I'll be there. I'll be there. I don't remember who sang it, but yes, the idea that somebody's there for you, right? Thank you so much. Thank you for introducing me to Dermot Kennedy. Appreciate that. Iris Tenzea, looking at your quote. This is a classic from Dead Poets Society, 1989. They call it an American teen drama film, but I think it had a lot more, lot more depth to it than just a teen drama. Uh, Professor John Keating, of course, played by the late, very late, sadly late, great Robin Williams. And the quote, and by the way, anybody who hasn't seen the movie, it was set in 1959 at a fictional elite all-male conservative Vermont boarding school. That's a mouthful. Welton Academy tells the story of John Keating, English teacher who inspired his teacher, his students through teaching of poetry and a lot of drama in that setting. Here is the quote, no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Iris, beautiful quote. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead.
0: But it was a very suitable topic. Also in light of Barbara's work of education and doing research, I just want to stress that this is really important. Um, I mean, I think all of us here, we spend a lot of time on educating our communities, our friends, our customers. And I think this is really important. This is like the first step towards making a change. And sometimes you feel like how I'm, how can I make a change is really difficult, but I would say just get started. And the first step you can take is just, you know, uh, go sit down with a friend who wants to learn about investing Mm -hmm. and you can spread from there. Um, Yeah. so. Just start with spreading the word and educating and educating your communities and users.
2: Thank you very much. I, it just recalls a story. April, I'll get to you in a second for your quote, but it re, I remember I was introduced to investing by a, uh, somebody who was running the computer room at the college where I worked in Oregon. And it, Barbara, you're going to get a kick out of this, everybody. He charted on paper in a spiral in a uh, loose leaf notebook every day every stock that he had, he got out his ruler and his pen or his pencil, and he made a line for where was the stock and where had it been. And he looked at those graphs. The notebook was this thick. And he introduced me. I had a little bit of extra money. And he said, let me get you started in the stock market. I don't even remember what the stock was. I got me a broker, friendly broker in town and Eugene and, and I made my first investment and I made a very small profit. And he said, do something with the profit and gift yourself because you made a good decision. So I went to a jeweler and I was divorced and I was getting rid of my my marriage jewelry. So I took the diamond out of my engagement (laughs) ring and I had a jewelry designer make a beautiful lopsided heart and we embedded the diamond into the heart. And that was my gift to myself for stepping into the world of investing. I didn't take money out for that kind of thing after that, but it was an interesting way to say for him to say to me, you did well you, you did something that was out of your comfort zone, reward yourself, excite yourself with something that shows that you made a profit and you made a good decision and then go back in and do more. So anyway, that was my, my first investing. And that was 19. I'm not going to tell you when April Rudin, another classic quote you have picked Dorothy Gale played by the wonderful, the inimitable always Judy Garland, The Wizard of Oz, of course, 1939 American musical fantasy film. And I'll just tell you that it failed to make a profit for MGM originally until it was re-released in 1949, 10 years later, and it earned a whopping three $2.17 Point seventeen million million on a $2.77 million budget. It was MGM's most expensive film at the time. And it still won two Oscars. Okay, not best film, but it won two Oscars. So here is the quote. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I didn't do my Judy Garland voice, but you could do it if you want. April, how'd you pick this one? Go.
1: So uh, to me, this is a really classic quote and it represents where we are today. Um, you know our world is changing so fast. Um, you know, in in my little preview, just in listening to the rest of these women, um, we're all transitioning, and the better and quicker and faster you can transition, uh, which is another um, really uh, you know characteristic of women, the better off you're going to be. Because we're just not in Kansas anymore. We have nothing really to hold on to, given the pandemic, given the the next global uh climate crisis that we're in now we're in a um, financial crisis again most likely and so we're always going to find ourselves in a period of transition and so those people who are successful who find the white space who really play that white space up and use that to their advantage will be successful so I often quote Dorothy Gale um, because most people have heard of the movie and most people know who she is, but um, they don't really think deeply about what it means to not be in Kansas anymore. And what that meant for her was she grew up and she was very familiar with a certain life, certain lifestyle, certain expectations that she was desperately trying to hold on to. But the moment she opened up and went to Oz, which, by the way, in the movie they they used Uh, black and white to show Kansas. And then they used color, which was one of the reasons why it was so expensive when she went to Oz. So I think there's a lot of lessons there for women and for other people to embrace change and to find the white space and be successful and not to look back and try to hold on to what is in our past.
2: Thank you, April. And when you say white space, can you just give a real quick definition for those who might not interpret that the way you mean?
1: sure so what i mean by white space is there's always new opportunities uh say today with the pandemic and work from home in different industries that are thriving versus industries that weren't thriving there's always going to be something new so things that we could never have thought of like uh, so much home delivery or uh, other opportunities like that could be um, side hustles for women or ways that they can increase and supplement their earnings by thinking about things differently. So that's the white space. It's things that you never thought of before, but that are now surfacing
2: thinking between the lines, outside the box, and anywhere where no man or woman has gone before. Thank you very much. Let's go to our predictions now. I'm enjoying I wish it was a two-hour show because we have so much to talk about. Uh, I have put in your prediction number one into the chat for you, Barbara, and I think we'll go with this one. So I'm going to read a little bit and take about two and a half, three minutes. And if anybody wants to comment on Barbara's prediction, just raise one of your nice little second or pinky finger at me, and I will call on you, but I'm gonna be putting a prediction for each of you ladies into the chat just for you so I don't distract anybody else, okay? So Barbara, here's number one. You say, daughter care will be a huge part of elder care. Women now outpace men in hours spent caregiving for aging parents and in-laws. Women provide nearly two thirds of elder care. Why don't you finish the prediction in terms of relating it to women's wealth? Barbara, go ahead.
3: Sure, so elder care and all of those stats, over two-thirds, nearly two-thirds rather, of women are providing the elder care. But elder care today now includes daughter care. So let me explain a little bit. So it used to be, and probably still is, depending on where we are in the world, that it was always the daughter that went to visit the elderly family members and took them lunch, took them flowers, cleaned them up a little bit, maybe gave them a shower, And the sons, not so much. The sons might have been managing the investments or doing something serious, a serious job for the elderly, but it was always the women and the daughters that would go and actually do all the icky stuff or stuff to really take care. And interestingly, myself working as a female investment advisor for so many years to high net worth clients, I would often go and visit the elderly parents of my clients because I knew that they were gonna transfer the money. Now, was I just all about the money? No, I just thought it was a smart idea to get to know the whole family, and they loved it that I did that. I'd go to the funerals and all this stuff, and I think good advisors do this. But I did notice along the way that none of my male colleagues ever went to the funerals of the elderly parents or tried to just go to visit a woman in an Alzheimer's home. They just wouldn't spend an afternoon doing that. Now, who was right and who was wrong from a money standpoint? I'm not sure. But interestingly, this this stat, this daughter care thing really resonates with me because if we think about who's going to inherit the money with the wealth transfer, which I'll talk about in my next prediction, now it's a real thing, daughter care. It's a growing thing. And it's a really, really big deal. And it has a gazillion implications for the investment industry if we think about daughters managing the money. And, you know, Eva talked earlier about the money penny community, and I was fortunate enough to, to do a presentation in Denmark just before the pandemic about this. And now I follow that Facebook community and I would encourage anyone to, I just Google translate because all the questions are in Danish. But if anyone who has a daughter wants them to learn about investing, it's definitely the easiest way to go about it and the most interesting. So I'll talk later about some of the implications this will have on the industry. Thank
2: you, very, that's in very interesting, visiting the family. I remember it used to be the, the guideline for getting to an executive, if you were doing any kind of selling, cold calling, mm-hmm. was to get to know, oh, I'm gonna use a terrible word, their secretary. What yeah, well, her, I learned
3: that at Xerox, right, that's right. right. <laughs> what was her
2: birthday and what was her favorite flower and what month was she born and what was her favorite, whatever, whatever, whatever. And and that was the gateway to, yes, to making friends. So in, including the family. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Let's go to a prediction from Eva. I'm looking at number two. Uh, the future winners in the stock market will be the sustainable investor. I'm going to leave it there. Eva, talk to us.
4: Yeah, this is uh, um, one of the, the things we, we um, touched upon in the book that I wrote uh, about sustainable investing. Uh, what we see is that um, the companies that uh, take corporate responsibility, that work with their sustainability, they are more proactive when they, they run their company and they tend to set long-term goals so um, when when you manage a company this way, you are actually uh, minimizing your risks and uh, and you're not so prone to uh, to crisis as uh, as other companies. So it's more robust company and uh, sustainable investors are looking for companies that that uh, manage their companies in, in a sustainable way. and. Um, and, and one of the things, and, and like Barbara said, with, with women actually um, gaining wealth from uh, inheritance, uh, they're going to invest more sustainably. There are uh, studies out there showing that that uh, women, when they invest, they tend to look more on sustainability than, uh, than men do. So we are going to see an increase both in capital going into sustainable investing and those companies that can actually take uh, responsibility, and, uh, and we also see a need for like technology that can help with this because one of the, one of the uh, research uh, service I, I read was actually showing that the financial advisors are not looking at sustainability as the investors are. So there is a, a gap between where financial adv- advisors are focusing and where their clients are focusing right now. Um, but definitely, if, if you want to be the future winner in the stock market, you've got to look for, for the sustainable companies.
2: Thank you very much. Yes, no greenwashing. We want the real deal, right? It's time. Yes. By the way, Iris, did you say you're in London? Is that where you are right uh, now? Yes, I
0: am in London. Are you
2: okay? I'm 105
0: degrees predicted for yeah, this week? Yeah, there was a heat wave um, yesterday and the day before, but it's cooled down a little today. <laughs>
2: Oh my goodness. I've been so worried. My son travels a lot there and and a former colleague of mine lives in London and he said, yeah, they're eating a lot of ice cream and sitting near a fan. What can I, and he said, I'll I'll buy an air conditioner one of these days when they come available again. Thank you very much, Ava. Appreciate that. Let's go to a prediction from Iris. You're up next. And you say changing money culture will cause more women to invest. But you say the culture around talking about money is changing rapidly with Finfluencers and new platforms coming up it's becoming increasingly normal to discuss investment salaries how to get a raise etc i'm going to stop there iris talk to us please
0: yeah i would say that i mean even though i did i did mention that you know the culture for example is in the netherlands hong kong london it's a little different everywhere but i would say globally it is changing in a sense that people especially young people i would say are becoming more and more open about money um, about how like me and my friends we talk about how much do you make it's, it's not a taboo anymore and i would say maybe 10 years ago it was different it was more of a taboo it's something that isn't really discussed but this is a problem right because if you don't discuss it you don't know that someone else more often than not, a man, but it could also be a woman in, in in similar position, similar level of experience, making more money. And just by being open about it, you you know, and you know what 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 you're worth, what you what you can ask for. So I think that is really important. And I would say definitely social media. And in this sense, social media has played a positive role. Um, for example, on Instagram, on TikTok, I see lots of lots of accounts, either corporate accounts um, or or just you know individual sort of influencers talk about money talk about salaries talk about how to negotiate um so I think that is a very positive and empowering trend that has really helped uh, people take action
2: thank you very much very very interesting we're we're getting a, a broad brush of where this all needs to go to to get more women involved and Talk to them, talk to us. There you go, April Rudin. I'm looking at you and let's see what I've picked for you. I'm scrolling down to my 5,000 pages of notes here. Prediction number three, this is fun. You say, historically, think Mad Men. Oh, I love that series. I think I binge watched it in seven weekends in a row a couple of years ago. I just couldn't get enough. I didn't understand the finale, but I I, I liked the show. Anyway, historically, Mad Men, the advertising and marketing industries were male dominated. And as sexist about as sexist as you could get as you'd expect and the good news, the gender balance in traditional advertising and marketing has become more even the bad news is ad tech and martech were the new boys clubs over the last decade i'm going to stop there and let you expand this for us April, please.
1: Thank you bonnie so. Um, you know Mad Men is very good fodder and great entertainment and we've all enjoyed it, but I think if you look at it through the, the gender lens you see how sexist. It really is, and typically technology do. When you think about female founders or technology, we talked about Xerox, IBM, and so on. They're you know really largely male dominated and mostly men in technology also. So we could expect that the intersection of not only advertising, marketing, technology, but also wealth management, I'll throw that one in there too, is largely men. Something like in wealth management, only 15% of financial advisors are women, but yet um, women are definitely the majority. So um, with regard to technology, I think we see that the numbers are changing um, with uh, all of the STEM and other initiatives that are taking place. So more young girls and women are being exposed to technology um, instead of the way we were, Bonnie, like back in the old days where somebody Mm -hmm. just sort of told us about it. But I think the numbers are really just um, still super low. It's something like, uh, it's up uh, like about 20% in the past three years, that's from 2019 through 2022. But the percentage of women I think is really rising in terms of tech as more and more women um, become involved in technology and then um, really ascend to more leadership roles. We know the diverse teams are much better than others. i think that that will definitely happen in ad tech and martech also so those forms of technology i'll throw in there also mm-hmm. fintech and wealth tech are areas with many more female founders than what we've seen in the past so that's an extension of financial services and as time goes on more and more females will go into more leadership roles more and more founders uh three founders uh, four founders sorry right here on this particular broadcast and the real benefit will be that advertising and marketing won't be as sexist as it's been. Um, so I have many prospects and clients that come to me and want to target female investors, but don't know how to do it. And their initial ideas that come from men are, you know, let's hire more women to work with women. And we know that that doesn't work, or <laughs> let's talk about women need education more than men, or some of these old biases. So I think as more and more women ascend and roles change, we'll see more and more ads and marketing focused in on women that really hit at the heart of the matter, um, where women are much better planners, to go back to what Barbara was saying, and less uh, risk adverse, but more risk aware.
2: I like that, hire more women to talk to women, that'll do the trick, okay. Wrong script, maybe right gender, but wrong script. Get real, here we go. Thank you so much, good first round. Let's see if we can squeeze in. We got about 11 minutes, that's a lot of time in live radio. So let's go to round two of predictions. I've got something in the chat already for most of you. Barbara Stewart, let's look at prediction number three. Um, It kind of was covered by Iris, but I'm gonna go with it anyway, if that's okay with you, Barbara, because I know you'll have something to add. You say investment advisors, investment firms, the entire investment industry are going to need to focus on how to talk to all kinds of women and you predict the daughters of current clients. Interesting, what age range are we looking at, Barbara? Let's put some brackets, some cohorts around this if you can.
3: I would go as early as 18, so, I mean, starting as early as possible, and I have a reason for saying that. Um, First of all, I just want to go back and remember the old days. We know where we came from, buy it honestly, but growing up in the 80s and studying for a business degree myself, when I took my boyfriend over to my parents' house for dinner, my dad used to lean back at some point in the evening like this and go, so John, where are interest rates headed? (laughs) And i just sit there and say nothing, right? Even though I kind of knew how I would answer that if anyone bothered asking me. So, you know, my own dad wouldn't ask his daughter who was studying, was in third year finance, and this would happen every single Sunday night we went over there for dinner. And I never questioned it. So once again, I'm giving you that context and why this stuff is so deeply personal to me, why I'm working so hard To shift this. Um, Now moving into how to talk to female clients. I had the wonderful privilege to do some commissioned research for a large global bank based in the Nordic countries a few years ago. And my job, which was amazing, uh, was to go to four different Nordic countries and interview 60 ultra high net worth female clients and find out what did they want from their bank. And I found out a lot. But one of the key findings was that they were interested in family and family finances. And why didn't the bank talk to them more about how they could educate their daughters and sons? What kind of events could they have for kids going into university about financial matters? Like how do I buy my first apartment? What am I gonna do with my pension? How do I get set up to pay my bills and all of this kind of stuff? So I had all of these deep dive one hour interviews with these women, and that was the number one thing that they wanted from their bank. And it was a great finding because from there, the bank was able to shift a lot of the communication style. I did further in-depth research to figure out what types of events, wanted smaller financial salons, I called them, big topic, deep dive into the topic with like-minded, intelligent women, invite your daughters to the discussion group. Sometimes the daughter doesn't want to hear from the parents directly, it's kind of awkward, but they'll talk to somebody else's mom at the same discussion group. And then, to all of our points here, follow it up with an online community and a chat group, and you get this thing to continue on and have a life of its own. And it's such a beautiful thing because from the time that I started doing that just a few years ago, I've seen just an explosion, of course, in all these social communities, not just in the Nordics, although they've certainly been the front runners, but globally. And it's it's just a beautiful thing to watch. I remember being invited to speak at the NASDAQ stock exchange in 2014. And my topic was how social media is going to change the world of women and in investing. And holy wow. I mean, back then, I was talking about how Cool, it was to have Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to talk about investing. And that, that seemed like a radical discussion at the time. And now, I mean, we've got all of these communities who are just taking over the world with it. So it's it's been a great trip for me to be on and I can't wait to see what happens next.
2: Thank you. Very, very interesting. And that leads in, I'm looking at, uh, we up to Eva now. Eva, I'm looking at uh, prediction number three for you. We'll see a power shift due to money shift and wealth shift with the increase in knowledge among women about finance, we'll see an increase in power. Let's talk about power. We have six minutes left. I wanna see if we can sneak in one from Iris and one from April as well. So let's get it down to, I'm sorry, 90 seconds. Right. No, it's
4: okay. Go ahead. Okay. We'll keep it short. Yeah, I, I, one of my core values is that that uh, is, is about sharing knowledge, because I see knowledge as being power. And I, I feel like if if we're all empowered, we are actually stronger as a society. So I don't uh, uh, believe in the old notion that power should be, be kept by, by the few. Uh, So you can control things. I actually think we're stronger if we we're all having power. And I do see that there is uh, an increase in awareness about finances and especially with with uh, women. And um, and I also see that we're kind of paving the way for other minority investors. So so it's actually becoming more. Uh, legitimate to talk about wages and uh, to talk about your wealth and uh, to talk about how you're actually going about to, to manage your finances. Um, I, I do think uh, we see uh, an increase in tech products available so it's not just like uh, touching the surface and, and like April say uh, uh, like act on our biases like we just need a woman to talk to women then they'll come. There is actually a gap between the traditional financial world and the products and services they provide and I think that's why we've seen the growth that, mm-hmm. that Barbara just talked about uh, about social media and, and we are looking at influencers because We're not getting that from our financial advisors. Um, And I'm in the fintech world, just like uh, uh, Iris, and, and it is very biased and it is very conservative. But that's really good for us founders because it is a good space for us because we have an advantage there.
2: An advantage to be taken advantage of. Thank you very much. Let's quickly go to Iris. I'm looking at prediction number one here. I'll just read the first line, uh, two lines. You say social investing will continue to grow. It started with apps like eToro and then an army of retail investors on forums like Reddit. Go ahead, 90 seconds, Iris, all yours.
0: Yeah, I think this is like a super interesting trend that we're seeing that investing is becoming a social activity, whereas before it was more of a, an individual solo activity. And I think that it's also encouraging more people to get involved because I'm maybe sharing on social media, hey, I invested in this um, stock or startup or um, alternative assets. And because I'm sharing that, others are gonna get involved as well. And I think the other interesting thing with with these trends is that people are starting to invest more in things that they understand, that they're passionate about, be that uh, related to, for example, sustainability, or be that investing in their passions, such as it could be alternatives like sneakers or wine. And I think all of that is coming together and it just gets more people involved. It's no longer just an activity um, that is that only like people that are super financially savvy can be involved in, but it's for it's making it more for anyone.
2: Thank you. I like that. Great prediction. And April, you get the last one. 90 seconds for you. You say women surpass men standing strong at 51% of the population and men become a minority. That's your prediction. Widows and other segments of women will rise as the main contact for firms and funds seeking to onboard new assets. April, go ahead. 90 seconds.
1: So, I mean, just to sort of summarize what everyone else is saying and, and add to it and, um, investing and who is the target client has certainly changed over the past, uh, decade or so. And as women rise and women create more wealth themselves, and women um, are more savvy many times. And so it's important for firms and funds to really unpack and uncouple couples, and think about who's the power person in the relationship. The other thing is, many times, uh, firms, funds, banks will think about women as an entire segment, and as, as if all women are the same. And certainly the five of us here are not the same types of investors. And so it's really important to unpack that as well and think about behaviors and um, opportunities there rather than thinking about uh, women as a segment because there are probably fewer similarities between the five of us here There might be other uh, similarities between other investors and other styles. So I think you know, what I'd like to leave with is that it's really important for people to think about personalization and customization um, when it comes to financial plans and financial advice, that it's not about millennials as one segment or women as a segment, but uh, more of that really needs to be unpacked to find out. Uh, and then that's where technology really plays into this to provide personalization and customization in terms of uh, assets. And, and then also uh, to Iris's point, um, which is in my other prediction too, the socialization of investing is really important too. Thank you, thank you.
2: Thank you all. Sorry to squeeze those second round of predictions. So much to talk about. I think we need to do a part two later in the year. Barbara, what do you think?
3: I'm in, Count me in. And okay, I'll send you a too. date to everybody. Thank
2: you, thank you. Well, I know Barbara comes, she'll, you know, we'll all be there, we'll all be there. Thank you very much. I do remember once being told that I should have let a boy win at a chess game because his family was visiting my home. He was the rabbi's son. And I was told, I was told I should let him win because he was the guest. Even though I was winning in checkers, we won't go there. And I thought, really? At that, even at, at 10 or 11, I thought, really? I gotta let him win because he's the, he's the guest and he's the boy okay well maybe it was more the guest than the boy i want to thank barbara stewart round of applause come on everybody for barbara barbara wonderful thank you so much for bringing this wonderful cohort of bright, very motivated, articulate, personable women. Iris, pleasure to meet you. Eva as well. April, I'll tell you where I think I know you from. I think I know where I know you from. Uh, thank you to Gabe, our engineer. Thank you to Facebook, LinkedIn, and Voice America. And I have a quick exercise for all of you, my special guests. We're out of time. Uh, wave your finger. On the count of three, you're going to say with me, no, no, no. One, two, three. No. Come on. One, two, three. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. If people say the future is already here, you're going To say no, no, no. no. Because that was yesterday's future, and today's future hasn't happened yet, and we're all here to make it a much better one. Bonnie D signing off. Everybody wave. Don't go away. Guess I want to take some more pictures. Bye, Link.
0: Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution The Future of Now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.